Well, good evening and welcome to this evening's training for the Healthy Discipleship Community. I'm John Stonge, and tonight we're talking about warnings against worldliness that James brings up in James chapter 4. So we're going to be looking at the first group of verses in James chapter 4, and we're just going to walk through these warnings that he gives against worldliness. It's definitely a relevant topic for for all of us, regardless of how long we've been a believer in Jesus Christ, or even if you're listening to this recording or watching this via video, and maybe as of yet, you don't have a relationship with Christ. I think there are some interesting things here that are worth wrestling with uh, that, that James gives to us as a caution and some warnings, because these are things that we all wrestle with to one degree or another. <clears throat> now, something that I want to point out to us, when you look through the Scriptures and when you look at what Jesus teaches us, he teaches us that while we are in the world, we are not of the world. And that means our values, our mindset, and our priorities do not need to reflect the selfish and unhelpful perspectives of those who reject Jesus. We've been given a different perspective. We don't need to adopt those values and, and mindsets and, and priorities as our own, uh, the, the worldly perspectives, I'm saying. The Lord teaches us that because we are in the world, that doesn't automatically mean we are of the world. Ultimately, we're part of his kingdom. Now, worldly values are demonstrated in multiple ways, and uh, James will bring these up as we look through the portion of Scripture that we're going to be looking at in just a moment. <clears throat> but you can see worldly values on display in a variety of areas. You could see them on display in our quarrels. You could see them on display in human greed. You'd also see them on display in the just the alliances people choose to make, so the things that they that they connect with, the things that uh, that they um, that they align themselves with. You could see it in human pride. You could see it in slander. Uh, values like these stand in stark contrast to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you look in Galatians chapter five, it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they stand in stark contrast to things like quarreling and greed and poor alliances and pride and slander. And so uh, we'll see that contrast here. I think it'll stand out to us as we're looking at James chapter 4 together this evening. And uh, something else I'll point out to you, many, if not most of the books of the Bible— they strongly caution us to avoid developing a worldly mindset. And that's done in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's done through direct teaching. So the scripture sometimes, like the scripture we're looking at tonight, will directly tell us, don't adopt that mindset as your own. Other times we'll be given historical examples, and we'll see people that do adopt a worldly mindset, and we'll see what ends up happening to them as a result. And we see a variety of examples of that. We even see that throughout the, the uh, books of prophecy when the prophets confront worldly mindsets and how uh, a worldly mindset can sometimes be adopted by people who are supposed to be the people of God, but yet at times we seem to value the things of this world to a degree that we certainly should not. So why is this such a struggle for us? Why is a worldly mindset something that we wrestle with? Why is this counsel given not just to unbelievers, but to believers as well? You would expect somebody who doesn't share our faith to have a worldly mindset. I guess that doesn't surprise us necessarily. But when you look at a portion of Scripture like we're looking at this evening, you could see that this is counsel that's being given to believers. We're being encouraged not to adopt 
a worldly mindset. So I'll just throw this out as a question before we dig into this topic tonight. Are you able to identify the unhealthy presence of worldliness in your life? We all wrestle with it. We all struggle with it. Uh, worldliness is a very unhealthy presence that loves to just kind of work its way into our thinking and into our acting and into our behaving. We don't want to go that direction. So are you able to identify it? Well, I think as we look through the scripture, there'll be some key factors that will certainly help us identify it this evening. So let's do that together. Let me start us off by reading the first three verses of James chapter 4. And I'll throw out this question here even before we read this, because James is going to answer this. What is causing your conflict? What's causing your conflict? Let me read from James 4, verses 1 through 3. There it says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So here James is forcing us to really wrestle with this, this question, what's causing conflict within us? What's causing fighting? In fact, that's what he states in the, the opening line here. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. So he's analyzing the fact that we as human beings, we really at times quarrel and fight over all sorts of needless and selfish things. And he tells us here that it's our passions that are at war within us. So think about some of the things that we would list as our passions. What are the, the passions that James is getting at here? I think all of us have to acknowledge the fact that we wrestle with sin. And there are things that you and I desire that are unhealthy and unwise and ungodly. And at times, those passions can, can be very strong, and they can start to become dominant passions in our lives if we let them. And so James is cautioning us that the blame, which is so easy to cast other places, really we need to be looking inward. Uh, instead of just saying, oh, it's somebody else that's that's causing this this conflict that I'm dealing with, or or uh, I can blame this on the devil, or I can blame this on on something else. He's saying, is it not your passions, the things that are going on inside of you? He says, it, it, you know, the quarreling and the fighting, it's, it's instigated by your passions that are at war within you. And then he describes some of these things. He says, it looks like this, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Well, I'm hopeful that most of us on this call this evening have not committed the act of physical murder. But when you think of when where murder comes from, it, murder ultimately comes from the fact that there's conflict and there's quarreling and there are desires that are going unmet. And Jesus tells us that, that at its root, hatred is, is the root of murder. And, um, and so, you know, here, you know, all of us would have to say that if we're analyzing our lives, there are moments in our lives where we've acted with hatred toward other people. And so that's the root of murder. And here James is saying, you desire and do not have, and so you murder. So so that that unmet desire, the desire to satisfy our worldly passions, at times it produces hatred. It produces murder. He says, you covet and cannot obtain. So we'll look at something that, that somebody else has, and we'll say, I don't want them to have that. I want to have it. He says, you covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. 
because we look with jealousy upon what somebody else has. And we think, all right, well, if if they have that, I'm I'm not satisfied with with them having something that I would like. And I'm not I'm not willing to celebrate the ways in which they have been blessed. I would like that blessing for myself. And so James says, you covet and you cannot obtain. And so you fight and you quarrel. Then he says this. And it's kind of a dichotomy how he how he finishes off this first section. He says, "You do not have because you do not ask." So, for starters, there he's he's I you know I see him inviting us to be people who humble ourselves before the Lord and make requests of the Lord. But as we make those requests, we need to do so in accordance with His will, not asking for selfish motives. Because then, when you get into verse three, he says, "You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions." So it's kind of an interesting thought here. He says, in one sense, you don't have because you're not asking the Lord. And then in another sense, you're asking but not receiving because you're asking with poor motives. You're asking for something just so you could spend it on your passions. You're basically saying, Lord, bless me in a worldly way so I could use your blessings in a worldly way. And I don't think the Lord wants to do that for us. I don't think the Lord wants to give us things that ultimately are going to become idols in our life. And then then we'll end up using those things in such a way that that we would basically act as if he doesn't even exist. And so here James is basically saying that that quite frequently the Lord will tell us no to the requests that we ask him because we're asking with wrong motives. And in fact, prayer isn't just to be about asking the Lord for this or for that. There's so much more in in prayer that, that we should be utilizing prayer for. Um, you know, as we adore the Lord, as we confess to him, as we thank him for what he's done, you know, these, and sometimes I think the Lord just wants us to listen to him, but here he's saying, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And that makes me wonder how many things I've requested of the Lord throughout the course of my life that he graciously said, no, John, you can't have that. And I wonder if his reasoning was, because he knew that that it wouldn't have been healthy for me that I would have misused his blessings that I would have that I was really just asking because I wanted to somehow satisfy a worldly passion instead of seeking to glorify him with the blessings that he's given me so here you have James basically inviting us to start off here by wrestling with what causes our conflict then he jumps into verses 4 and 5 and I think the question we're invited to ask as we look at James 4 verses 4 and 5 is which friendship do you prioritize? So look at the way James phrases it here. It doesn't sound very complimentary. In fact, it's it's very confrontational, but he says, you adulterous people. Now we'll come back to that statement in just a second, but let me say it again. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? It's a fascinating portion of Scripture here. But it's interesting that James would start this off by by saying, you adulterous people. Now, I preach and speak in front of groups quite frequently, and I often put a lot of extra thought into how I start a message. And I can't imagine starting off a sermon with the statement, you adulterous people. But maybe I should. Maybe that would be a good attention getter because the statement is true. It's true of myself. It's true of everyone on this call. It's true of everyone who's listening to the recording of this. It's true of every person you've ever met. We all struggle with adultery. Now, 
adultery is something that we tend to think of primarily in the physical sense. We tend to think of it as unfaithfulness in marriage. But there's a form of adultery that Scripture brings up in regard to our relationship with the Lord. And I think that's primarily what James is getting at here. When he says, you adulterous people, he's talking about the fact that at heart, we struggle with being faithful to the Lord. It's like we're cheating on God. We're unfaithful to Him in so many respects. Now, thankfully, He's gracious to us, and He calls us back unto Himself. But this is something that we really wrestle with. And James here is saying, you adulterous people, and he gives the example of what he's talking about here. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, if you read through the prophetic portions of the Old Testament, one of the things that you'll notice is that the concept of spiritual adultery is brought up regularly. And the people of Israel were frequently challenged with this same kind of thought, because instead of being devoted to the Lord, instead of uh, being focused on their walk with the Lord, many of them were highly focused on their friendship with the world, in the sense that they would envy the things that their unbelieving neighbors were doing or believing, or things that they had. And they would just develop an affinity for the things of this world. And here you have James saying, don't you understand that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's like you're trying to create distance between you and God. It's like you're trying to cheat on God and be adulterous and unfaithful toward your creator. And so he says here, here's the net effect of that. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, what is James getting at here when he talks about world? You know, is he, is he just talking about earth? Is he talking about other people? I mean, I, I know in my life I try to be friends with all kinds of people, and they don't have to even share my beliefs for me to want to be their friend. And, and uh, I, I tend to have all sorts of friendships that, um, that I think is James talking about that. Well, when you look at the word world that he's talking about here, he's actually talking about a system of unbelief that aligns itself with Satan and and ultimately opposes the will of God. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the system of belief, the mindset that Satan provokes, the mindset of unbelief that many people in this world have allegiance to. And he says, if you make, if you make yourself, if you want to be a friend of that, saying you're making yourself an enemy of God. You're, you're, you're trying to live at a distance from God. You're aligning yourself in the wrong direction or with the wrong thing. And then I love what he says in James 4, verse 5. He says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? So a- apart from the Lord's intervention, we would be dust. But he made us into living beings. He breathed the breath of life in us. He breathed this the spirit of life in us. And he yearns jealously over that. Our, our that, you know, the, the life within us, our spirit. He yearns jealously over our life. And um, and here you have James talking about that. We're gonna, we're gonna, in our question time, we're gonna talk about this this fact that he uses the word jealous here. We've talked about this on another uh, previous training, but basically the Lord's saying he's not willing to share us with with Satan. He's not willing to share us with uh, worldly beliefs that are aligned against him. 
the Lord is possessive of us in a healthy way, and in a loving way. He, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So what friendship are we prioritizing? Are we emphasizing friendship with God and kinship with God? Are we emphasizing uh, friendship with this world? That's something James wants us to wrestle with. Well, he continues, and he, he, I think, invites us to ask an additional question when you get to James chapter 4, starting with verse 6, all the way down to verse 10. And basically, the question I think he's inviting us to ask there is this, what will your pride cost you? Pride is expensive. It'll cost us something. What will our pride cost us? Well, look at what he says in verse 6. He says, but he gives more grace. Now, that's a wonderful thing, especially in light of the verses we just read, because those verses clearly illustrate the fact that we have... Uh, rebelled against the Lord in every direction, but it says he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so James gives us some good counsel here. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So I love how this portion of Scripture gives us the solution to the things that we've been wrestling with. And we don't want to continue to wrestle with those things in the sense that we don't want to give in to them. We don't want to be people who are known for our pride. We don't want to rebel against the Lord. And so James here says that the Lord gives grace. And, he, and the way James phrases it, and, and by the way, this statement that he makes here is mentioned at least three times that I know of in Scripture. This is one of them. It's mentioned once in Proverbs, I believe, and uh, twice in the New Testament. And uh, so it's mentioned here in James 4, and it's also mentioned, I believe, in 1 Peter 5, where he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now think about that statement in... Uh, in a very real way, in a very confrontational, lovingly confrontational way, because it's revealing what happens behind the scenes. When we are proud, we're basically elevating ourselves to a position above God, and we're saying, I'm the one that calls the shots. But here the Scripture says, no, that's not how it works. And in fact, if you want to live in opposition to God, you can do that if you choose, but understand that it's not, it's not something that God takes lightly. In fact, the Scripture says God opposes the proud. So how would you, would we want to go through life knowing that the one who spoke creation into existence, the one who sustains all that he's created by his powerful word, that he is actively opposing us? Well, the scripture here tells us that God opposes the proud, but he does something else for the humble. So if we're proud, we can expect the opposition of God. But the scripture says, but he gives grace to the humble. He shows unmerited favor to the humble. The humble are in a position to receive it. And basically, when we're humble, it's not like we're trying to demean ourselves. That's not what that word means. That word word just literally means to see ourselves as we actually are, to see ourselves from God's perspective, to recognize we are created beings who owe our allegiance to the one who created us. God opposes the proud but he gives his unmerited favor. He gives his grace to the humble. And so James here tells us, here's what to do with this. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Just submit yourself to God. Submit your intentions. Submit your life. Just submit it all to him. 
just openly come before the Lord and say, Lord, I submit myself over to you. I, I acknowledge you as my God, and I submit myself to you as one who desires to be a recipient of the gift of your grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. I submit myself over to you. There is peace in submission. There is peace in submitting yourself over to God. There's peace in knowing that, that ultimately you're submitting yourself to the one who cares for you most. And then James tells us here, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the devil loves to try and influence us in all sorts of directions. The devil loves to provoke us. The devil loves to, to uh, antagonize us and, and try and prod us to go in a direction that is unhealthy and unwise. And here James is saying, listen, resist him with the power that, that God gives you as you submit yourself over to the Lord and, and receive the gift of his grace, his unmerited favor, his undeserved power. He will give you the power to resist the devil. And as you resist the devil, the devil will flee from you. The devil doesn't like light. The devil, he, he thrives in darkness. And if you choose to submit yourself over to the Lord, that means you're walking in the light. And the scripture tells us that if we resist the devil with the strength that the Lord supplies, the devil will flee from us. And the scripture goes on to say here, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The Lord invites us into his presence. He wants us to live near to him. Then he goes on to say, basically, don't invite things into your life that don't belong there. Cleanse your hands. He says, and he says it very directly here. I, I know he means it lovingly, but it's also lovingly confrontational. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So if you've been going, trying to have one foot in heaven and one foot in the world, he's saying, enough of that. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Don't be a double-minded, sinful person. We all wrestle with sin, but he's saying, don't give in to that. Resist that. Don't, don't continue to walk in darkness. Live as a child of light. And he, he encourages us to mourn uh, with a godly sorrow over our sin, to not treat it lightly. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So he's saying grieve. Oh, you know, Scripture tells us that, that the Lord grieves over our sin, that our sin is such a big deal to the Lord that he grieves over it. And so here we're encouraged to be people who grieve over the, the, the terrible effects of sin as well. And he's saying, ultimately, you know, get to that spot of, of, of godly grief where you can grieve over sin, where the things that break the heart of God break your heart as well. And he says, humble yourself before the Lord. Just admit it, confess it, submit yourself before the Lord, humble yourself before him, and God will do something for you. He'll lift you up. He will exalt you. And so James is giving us some solution verses in this portion of Scripture, while at the same time confronting the very things that we're all wrestling with. One other thing he brings out in James 4 in the section that we're looking at today that I think is helpful for us when we're thinking about what does it look like to apply these truths to our day-to-day -day lives, and it's this, this question, how quick are you to condemn? So we just walk through a whole bunch of things that we're all struggling with, and we would be lying if we said we don't struggle with those things because Scripture tells us we struggle with those things. But even though we struggle with those things, we're so quick to condemn other people who are struggling with the same thing that we're struggling with. And so James says in verses 11 and 12 of James 4, he says, listen, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. 
But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I think it's interesting and and, uh, even somewhat fascinating that we who have received so much favor from the Lord and so much help and so much assistance and so much forgiveness and the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth to take our condemnation upon himself so that we could be cleansed of our sin, and yet what do we do? We speak evil against one another. We judge one another. We condemn one another, and we do so so quickly. And why do we do that? Well, I think sometimes we forget just how much the Lord paid for us to be free of the things that that were against us, the things that were standing against us in condemnation. We forget the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth and took our sin upon himself. We forget the fact that he endured sorrow and pain and scorn. And he took ultimately our shame upon himself so that we could live as men and women who are cleansed of that shame. And then somehow we castigate other people and try and heap shame upon them. And James is basically saying, don't you see the irony in this? You know, why are you doing this? Don't speak evil against one another. It doesn't serve any good purpose. He says the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother is speaking evil against the law. Ultimately, it's it's basically saying, you know, when you look at the, the law, and, and, and James makes a lot of Old Testament references here in, in his book, but when you look at the Old Testament law, the Old Testament law talks about the fact that we shouldn't be slandering one another. We shouldn't be speaking evil against one another. We shouldn't be bearing false witness against one another. And here's the thing. We've all done it. I've done it. You've done it. Every single one of us have done that. And James is saying, listen, if that's been the pattern up to this point, don't do it anymore. Don't let this be the pattern of your life anymore. Don't speak evil against one another. Give it a break because there's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge, and that's he who is able to save and destroy. He's the judge. He's the lawgiver. It's not our job to condemn. It's his job, and he will do that where it's justly done. But who who are we? I mean, we're people that deserve condemnation, and yet Christ has taken our condemnation upon himself. So it's not our job to be those who condemn. It's our job, ultimately, to communicate the grace of Christ and the mercy of Christ and not try to continually judge or condemn one another. And uh, I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that we have discernment in regard to certain activities, but it's not our job to condemn. It's ultimately our job to admonish as, as some, you know, if somebody in your life is uh, inviting something into their life that doesn't belong there, it's loving to admonish them to, to prune that out of their life. It's loving to admonish them just like James is doing here in James chapter four. You know, but he's not he's not ultimately coming at people and saying, hey, I'm the authority to condemn. He's saying, no, there's only one who can do that, and that's the Lord himself. But he is trying to admonish us to live a life that reflects the heart of Jesus Christ. And so we shouldn't be quick to condemn. We should ultimately be quick to point people to Christ because Christ is the solution for the sins that we're wrestling with. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to put us on gallery view, and we're going to be talking about some of the things that James brings up here in this section. If you're listening to us online, if you're listening to our podcast, I'd invite you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com. 
Com. We have a whole bunch of other things over there, plenty of things to read, plenty of things to listen to. Uh, it's all there at DesireJesus.com. We hope you'll stop by the website. And don't hesitate to send me an email if you stop by there. I certainly enjoy listening or hearing from those who listen uh, to the teaching that we share here through the podcasts, through the videos, and, and through other means as well. So let me uh, stop my screen share here, and uh, I'm going to bring us our gallery view up here. And I'm just going to throw out a few questions here, but my first question for the group is this. Are you prone to conflict? So you individually, just think about this for yourself. Are you someone who would consider yourself prone to conflict? And uh, and the, my follow-up to that is this. Can you think of a personality type that you're most likely to experience conflict with? So what do you think? Do you think you're prone to conflict? Um, or, um, you know, would you say that there's maybe a personality type that you're most likely to experience conflict with? I have, uh, I have a few personality types that I think I'm prone to conflict with, but I'll save my answers for just a moment. And I'm just curious if you guys have any. My big one is people who see need around them and refuse to do anything about it. Yeah, so somebody, uh, if if somebody is not troubled by a need that's right there in front of them, you're you're saying that that produces conflict within you, that that bristles against your personality. All right. What do you think, Paul? Well, yeah, I was I was thinking about that. I personalities. Um, I can be strong-willed, and I think what happens is. Uh, even even if there are two people that are basically, are uh, you know going in the same direction, but they happen to see it just slightly different, that's that's where I think we, that's where I end up uh, with. Uh, but I don't. It's not really a conflict, as more as it's uh, trying to find the truth, where the truth is at between two people. Yeah. 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 It. it, it... Well, that would be the mature way to handle it. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, we don't always do it that way, but yeah, you're right. That, that, that there is a mature way to handle it. Uh, Andrea, I don't know if you can, can you hear me? Is, is there a personality type or, or anything that you would say um, that you would say you are most likely to experience conflict with something that you try and watch out for? Please don't say me. <laughs> um, I, find it very frustrating when people are inconsiderate um, or incompetent, but not like just not able to do something, but able to and not doing it. So, um, and so those, those two things tend to flare up my, my, like a tendency for, for conflict for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll I'll volunteer a couple of answers of my own in this one. I think some personalities that I experience conflict with are uh, personalities that I think are over controlling or or um, like bully type personalities. I I don't I don't like that, and I I see that I I almost feel like I have this intrinsic desire to um, be the person who speaks up in a moment like that and tries to address it when I, when I see that that's going on. 
I don't I don't like that. And I don't like how some people really puff themselves up in such a way that they they try to intimidate others. And so I have experienced some conflict when I have sensed that maybe somebody was trying to be either overly controlling or or, um, you know, trying to bully people that are a little bit more soft spoken around. I also sometimes experience conflict with personality types that will say one thing to me, but then kind of have a like another side that I find out about, you know, uh, behind the scenes where it's kind of like, here's here's my public face and then here's my my private face. I just had something I was dealing with uh, related to that today. And I I thought to myself, I was like, can can you just you know, if you're going to tell me something, can it just be the same thing you say uh, in in both contexts? Does it you know, why do I have to try and discern if you're telling me the truth or not? And so those are things that, that produce conflict. So, all right. So we, we've all identified personality types that maybe can trigger us a little bit. So do those personality types triggering us give us an excuse to react from the flesh or to react poorly? <laughs> yes. Yes. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. This is being recorded, Mike. <laughs> yeah, they do I, not. I what do you think, say, Paul? <laughs> I was going to say no, absolutely not. Uh, I've had too many experiences where, where is it uh, uh, one open mouth, two insert foot? Yeah. Uh, because, you you know, you just reaction is wrong. Uh, you, you shouldn't react. But I think there's there's a there's a value to proactivity. And uh, when you when you meet people like that, and you're are dealing with uh, conflicting um, uh, personalities, yours and somebody else's, I think it's way better uh, to uh, start. Even if even if they're not talking honestly to you, I think it's really important that you talk honestly to them, and then and then work that through. They they may never want to talk honestly with you, and that's their choice. But you shouldn't you, you shouldn't compromise your own your own uh, values um, when you you know when you're dealing with quote unquote obstinate people. Yeah, yeah. You want to make sure that at the end of the day, your integrity is still intact. And uh, but I I think it's helpful to I and I asked the question the way I did because I think it's actually helpful for us to just acknowledge that there are certain personality tra- types that probably don't trigger us and certain personality types that do trigger us. But just because we're triggered by a certain personality type, it doesn't give us an excuse to pretend like conflict in that case is okay because they have that personality type, right? Uh, and James, you know, talks about this idea of, you know, where, where do these quarrels, where does this conflict come from? And it doesn't come from a healthy spot. Paul, you looked like you were about to say something yeah, else. I was just going to, because earlier, and, and I don't know if you were going to go there, but I, I uh, the, the interesting uh, portion of the scripture for today is the idea of having two minds. Yeah, to be double-minded. Yep. Or double-minded, it depends on your translation. Yeah, right, of course. <laughs> But anyway, uh, that's a, a a lot of the conflict that, that we experience as uh, I believe as Christians is uh, due to the fact that we're double-minded. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'll give uh, just a short example. We sure. have uh, we've always had a, a uh, uh, we call it a, a, a Christmas uh, um, a, a candle lighting service. Yeah. Prior to Christmas, right? A lot of churches do that. And it just so happened that the last couple of years that we would do it on the third Sunday of Advent. In the last couple of years, 
the Patriots and the Steelers would always be always be playing themselves, right? And there was one a clergyman and his uh, his uh, sons were very uh, uh, rabid uh, uh, Patriot fans, and I'm a very uh, humble. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, but that always the, the game was always a four o'clock game, and right when right when we were starting the candlelight service, that's going on, and you and then you end up being two minded, you know. I'm trying to concentrate and I'm trying to worship God, but at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, who's winning, right? Yeah. And uh, it doesn't help that you can follow a game on a cell phone now. No, it really uh, doesn't. You can even just watch it on a cell phone now, it, which it, it, exactly. I have done. <laughs> so, but but I uh, but but you know you have to realize, and, and there's there's the value of DVR because you can put first things first, and then you can always get back to it. But um, when we're two-minded, we open ourselves up to just that type of a conflict and with other people. Yep, you're absolutely right. All right, how about um, we? And we asked this question, so this this could be a little bit of a repeat question from a few weeks ago, uh, but it's worth asking because James brings it up here. Uh, but does it surprise you to learn that God is jealous for you? Why or why not? And what do you think? What do you think about the fact that Scripture reveals in multiple places that God is jealous for you, that God is jealous for his people? What are your thoughts on that? Does it surprise you to hear it? Yes? No? What do you think, Mike? From the standpoint that Jesus paid a really hefty price for us, Um, it gives him every right to be jealous for us and to demand everything of us. Um, so possessive in a healthy way, we're saying. You know, you, he, can, he has the right to be pos- not wanting to share us with evil. Abe, that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Some other thoughts on that. What do you think? Andrea, did you unmute your mic there? I did. I don't find myself surprised by it, perhaps because... Uh, I've spent a number of years knowing and learning about the, you know, like who God is and things like that. So I don't find that it's surprising, but I I do notice that I don't, I don't think about it as much as I should. And I don't let it impact the way that I think and function the way that I should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's probably good that we're reminded by this scripture then, you know, as it's as it tells us that that God is jealous for us here. And I was just thinking, you know, like what what difference would that make if I spent more time or made that more of a, a thought process or something that was closer to the front of my mind instead of back further? Like what difference would that make? Do you have a do you have a guess? What what kind of difference do you think it would make for you? I don't know. I'm processing as I go. Yeah. <laughs> so, Take a guess. Um, I think it would make me less likely to wander spiritually, mm-hmm. less likely to, uh, like to, to stray or like to, indulge in the things that are not pleasing to God or, or stray away from what is pleasing to God. I think it would make me 
less likely to do that because I think the, um, like there would be a quicker catch in my spirit about that mm -hmm. if I was thinking about it like that as opposed to just like do or don't do. Yeah. I think it would keep my heart closer to him in in a very like in a very appreciative way. It's a good way to put it. Yeah, appreciative. Cool. What do you think, Paul, about, you know, what the scripture says there? Well, actually, I was thinking um I was thinking that uh let, let me preface it this way. My uh, when I was younger, uh, certainly I've been much older now. But when I was younger, I used to tear around. I was not that good. I was a, really not a great Christian back then. <laughs> but um, and I never figured, no, no matter how many girls I was dating and so forth, I never thought that anybody would ever want to marry me. You know, I, I, I just couldn't see it. And and yet my wife married me and we've been together these many years and I'm, she gets tired of me saying it, but I'm very amazed. Uh, I continue to be amazed that she loves me mm -hmm. and that she wanted to marry me because I just didn't see a whole lot of value there. And, uh, and apparently she did. And the same thing with, uh, uh, with, uh, our Lord and, you know, uh, dealing with, dealing with, personalities um god dealt with us you know he, he talks about he talks about the prodigal son for example and that's us uh he talks about the the son that didn't leave but got all mad and that's us yeah. uh he he had an amazing way uh of showing us ourselves uh through the parables in the scripture uh, that that jesus shared and if God could love us uh, to the point that he would die for us. And I don't look at it as, as uh, that he has all that, that, that he, it, he certainly does have the right to expect and to be jealous of, of our actions. But on, on our part, I, I just think it's, it's a, it's a big lesson for us because, you know, Jesus said, love your enemies. And uh Loving our enemies, you know, it's 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 a nice theological concept, until you have to put it into reality. And then it's not so easy. But then we realize that you know what we did to God uh, by our very sinfulness, and He still loves us. It's yes. an amazing thing. It I, is amazing. I, I, that's one of the things that I maybe someday when I die, and if I'm fortunate enough to to get to those pearly gates. You know, I'll, I'll understand. But that's one of the things that amazes me, that, that God would love me that much. Yeah. Even when I've rejected him by my thoughts, my, my words, actions, deeds. But he loves us. He yeah. loves me. It's amazing. It is. It is amazing. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? Hey, Paul, you know, it's funny. You, you think about this uh, concept of loving your enemy and my devotional time last week, God revealed to me, he says, I ask you to love your enemy because your enemy is your neighbor. And I've commanded you to love your neighbor. And so if you start realizing that every person, regardless of who they are, regardless of how much they irritate you, 
they are still created in the image and likeness of our creator and they are our neighbor whether or not they're an enemy or not that's our choice so yeah all right um good answers good thoughts it, the 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 favor and the love of God are amazing things. How about this? Um, you know, James was talking about the fact that God opposes proud. Uh, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So think about that statement. It's mentioned two other places in Scripture. It's mentioned in Proverbs. It's also mentioned in First Peter. But what do you think about that statement that God actively opposes pride? What do you think about that and the implications on just life? As a, as a clergyman, uh, when I'm leading worship, <laughs> I always think of that because it's easy to get, you know, you for us, we put on the vestments. If you're a bishop, you put on the mitre. You look so wow. And uh, you've got to forget about that because even, even for, for, for us, when we worship and, we have Holy Communion, it's not us. It's God who uh, works through us and says, uh, you know, it's not Paul Sibiuski saying, this is my body, this is my blood, this is God's body, and it's his blood. And you got to remember your role in all of that, you know, uh, and for, for a clergyman, for a pastor, um, it, pride is a sure way to destroy any type of good ministry you could have. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you're you're basically you're basically pushing the Lord away. You know, I mean, it, it in our in our pride, you know, almost trying to make the ministry about ourselves or something like that. Yeah. So, what do you think, Mike, the fact that God actively opposes pride. He if opposes the proud. What do you think? Well, if we think about the ultimate enemy we do have, the one who is called our enemy, which is Satan, mm -hmm. His ultimate sin was pride. Mm -hmm. It was the root of all sin. Because as soon as he put himself above the throne of God, or at least in his own mind, yeah, um, he started to think that he was so much better than God. His thoughts were so much you know, wiser than God. And yeah, it definitely just said, okay, guess what? He's never going to be spending eternity with Christ. He's going to be spending eternity in a place far away from Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's because of pride. Right. And that's why God opposes it so much, because it's a it's a gateway to other sin. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah, when we uh, when we embrace pride, we're basically reflecting the heart of Satan. But it says here, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he gives his favor, his undeserved favor to the humble as we reflect the heart of Christ. You know, we we see this favor that that is is that we're blessed with. That obviously, you know, is, is I mean, just such a testimony to the goodness of God that he would that he would do anything like that for us. But it tells us he he's actively opposing the proud. He actively opposes those who would reflect the heart of Satan, and uh, he actively blesses those who would reflect the humble heart of Christ. I, I, for some reason, I mean, that's one of those scriptures that sticks in my head. I, you know, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
that one sticks in my head. You know, there's certain portions of scripture that that uh, resonate with you. And uh, I just find that to be such a helpful scripture when it comes to just our own natural bent toward pride. I, we're just we're just we have that natural bent. And uh, the Lord is saying, you know, there's there's a better solution. It, well, pride think, um, does not lead us where we want to go. <laughs> what do you I think? think? I think I mentioned it a few sessions ago, but uh, I'm I'm often going back to James because James speaks to ministry, and uh, it's <laughs> it's good to remind ourselves what ministry is all about because sure uh, is. we can we can get so involved in our roles that we forget that we're supposed to be servants to all and we're supposed to be about washing everybody's feet. Right. Yeah. And uh, how many people in leadership think leadership is about having their own feet washed? (laughs) That's not the point. (laughs) Those that last in leadership, I would suspect, figure that out. (laughs) Those that don't last in leadership, um, you know, are are there to be served. Um, All right. One last question for us. If we're grateful for the fact that Jesus took our condemnation upon himself, why are we sometimes quick to condemn others? So if we're grateful for the fact that Jesus took our condemnation upon himself, why are we sometimes quick to condemn others? Well, we're still sinners. We're still learning. We're still learning. That's a, well, that's a good point. Yeah, we're it's sinners who are still learning, right? Sure. Peter took a lot, all the They didn't get it until Pentecost. Right. They were with Jesus for three years and didn't figure it out until the Holy Spirit came to them. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You see a marked difference in Peter's life prior to Pentecost and then after. Yeah. I probably think I'm selfish. Say it again. I'm selfish. That's my problem. That's your problem. All right. So elaborate, you know, what do you think? Well, I, you know, it's, it's real easy for us to take a superior position because of our selfish nature. So that, you know, we sometimes will say others are inferior to us by, you know, kind of pointing things out in their lives. And then there's other times where it's going to be we're trying to cover up or hide something going on in our own life. Let's point out in somebody else and deflect it away. Well, yeah, that that could be something that we uh, unfortunately do. Right. You know, but when you think about, you know, what James says in that scripture, he, he, he encourages us not to be people who are. uh ultimately condemning somebody else. Now, he's not saying that we can't admonish, right? What's the difference between admonishing somebody and condemning somebody? There's a big difference between the two. Anyone have a thought on that? Like, if I admonish you, have you ever admonished somebody and then been accused of of judging them or condemning them? Oh, yeah, that's my son. (laughs) I had a a friend some years ago that I, I remember... Um, I admonished him about something that stood out to me, and I, I think I shared that in love, and his immediate response to me was, was you know, don't judge me, and I thought, I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to be a brother to you and admonish you. you know, he's, don't judge me. You know, so what's the difference between admonishing someone and condemning them or admonishing them and, or judging them, you know, whichever word we want to use? If we admonish somebody, our attitude is humility. When we are condemning someone, our attitude is superiority. So, yeah. So if we're admonishing somebody, we would be saying, all right, hey, I've struggled with that too. And let me tell you, that's not something you want to invite into your life. 
um, condemnation would be one of saying, oh, you're just a terrible human being. I'm so glad I'm not like you, et cetera, et cetera. What, what do you think, Andrea? I was going to say that one comes from a standpoint of love and the other one does not. Yeah. Yeah. So the heart motive behind an it. attitude, a heart attitude of love and judgment does not. Yeah. Yeah. One is trying to be helpful. The other one is just trying to cut somebody down. But I do think it's interesting that that James brings this up in uh, in James chapter four, uh, because I know for me, it can be very easy at times to forget the fact that Christ took my condemnation upon himself. And it's not my role. It's not my duty. It's not my job to condemn and judge. It is my job to admonish in love and challenge in love. I'm supposed to do that. But it's not my job to say, you know, whether or not someone is beyond forgiveness, you know, because that's what condemnation and judgment is effectively saying. Right. We're, We're saying you are beyond forgiveness. You you are beyond the grace of God. God cannot change your heart. God cannot do it. All you know, all you all you deserve is uh, the fires of of hell forever. And that's where you should be. And in fact, if I had the option, I'd send you there right now. You know, that's effectively what we're doing when we're when we're condemning somebody. And that's not the spirit that the Lord wants us to operate in, because that's not our role. That's his role. And he's the only one justified to do it because he alone is holy. We're not. You know, he, he's perfect. We're not. You know, so I'm not in a position to make those determinations. Um, and uh, and and, you know, none of us are. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of what we wrestle with. Right. That's what we wrestle with. That's what we struggle with, you know, and that's something that, that we as individuals need to be mindful of. So any, uh, any final thoughts here as we wrap this up? We have just a, a minute left or so. Any uh, final insights you have from this opening portion of James 4? Nothing from the Scripture. I'd just like to wish everybody that's uh, part of the group here a, a blessed Thanksgiving. And, yes, uh, same to you. Safe, stay safe. Yeah, Absolutely. Back at your travels and non-travels. That's right. Uh, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. And we'll also say to those of you joining us on the podcast, if you're listening to this, this is going to go live on Thanksgiving. So uh, this will we're recording this Tuesday night. But if you're listening to this the day it's released, you're hearing this on Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to you as well. And, and uh, the Lord's certainly given us much to be thankful for. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for for joining us this evening. Grateful, uh, as always, to be able to spend a little time together and uh, to look at the scriptures together and hopefully be encouraged in our walk with Christ as a result. Our next meeting will be in two weeks, so that's December 8th, and it'll be at the same time, Tuesday evening, December 8th. And uh, Lord willing, hopefully we'll be able to get back together again and look at the next section of James chapter 4. We'll pick up at verse 13. Well, again, have a a great Thanksgiving. Great to see everybody and look forward to seeing you next time. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Good night, everyone. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. 
but it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.